please turn with me again, once again, to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter number 1. And our text this morning is verse number 21. Verse number 21 of Philippians chapter 1. Paul writes under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, For to me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. For to me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Our title for this morning's message is this, To live is Christ, to live is Christ. In the modern world, in our busy, fast-paced, ever-changing world, what is one of the hardest conversations to have with people that you come across on a daily basis in the world? Sure, you'll talk about the weather. You'll probably talk about your hobbies, your family, difficulties at work. You may even discuss politics with some people. But one conversation that many people will try with every ounce of their being to avoid, especially in our Western world of plenty, it is the subject of life and death. The subject of death the fact that it is a certainty for us all, but also they ask the question, why are we here? Such a basic, fundamental question that very few people will ever wish to entertain into their minds. What is life's purpose? Why am I here? What am I doing here? Many want to believe that this conversation is a complete waste of time that life is what you make of it. That it's your own truth and other such answers. Or, as somebody told me a few days ago, you can't know. You don't know that. Does this make sense? How many people, and you're probably included as well, you probably get insurance for many things in your life that will probably or may never happen. You get car insurance, house insurance, all sorts of insurance for things that may never happen. But death will happen for us all. There's a statistic that 100% of people die. But how many people think about the inevitable? How many people? And we're also surrounded by reminders of we live in a sin-cursed world. We live in a world that something's not quite right. It's fallen in Adam. In Adam, all die. And that death, we see constant reminders of it all around us. Remember recently I was visiting a farm a few times, and every, it was a big farm, and every single time I seemed to be there, there seemed to be one or two dead animals. We're surrounded by death. People who work in vet, veterinary surgeons, they, they see death of animals on a daily basis. The young people that are here, children, I'm sure you've been sad at one point in the past over the death of a pet. We're surrounded by the sadness of a world that has been subject to death. And why are we sad? Because we know an enemy has taken away something precious to us. And how about people who have died and gone, not no longer with us? We miss them, don't we? Family, friends, death has taken them away. We miss them dearly. And so death and life must be thought about. It must be thought about why we're here, where we're going when we die. Because it's a certain and a sure event. And we don't get a second chance. We don't get to do it all over again on this earth. We get one opportunity on this earth, a very short life 
this life is but a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then it vanishes away. Eternity, my friends, is a long time to be wrong. So it's a very, very serious question we are looking at here this morning from this text that Paul writes. And Paul is going through suffering in our letter. Philippians chapter 1, Paul is dealing with bonds, bonds of affliction. And when is the usual time that we think about death and where we're going? Usually times of suffering. Times of sickness and other types of affliction. And Paul is dealing with prison. He doesn't know how much longer he has left. So he does reflect on this question of death. And he says this in verse 21. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Yes, he's thinking about it, but he also thinks about it in the most joyful way. He sees the promises of God, and may we see so here this morning as we meditate upon this verse. And I ask you, dear friends, as we look at this verse, do you see life and death the same way Paul sees it? Do you see it the same way? To live is Christ, but to die is gain. Our first point here this morning is this. Our end, our end, number one, our end. Why were we made? And by our end, I mean what the shorter catechism means by end. What is man's chief end? Question one of the shorter catechism. I'm sure many of you have learned that. Or what is man's, as some people put it, final cause? What is man's purpose on this earth? Why have you and I been made? Why are we here at all? What is the purpose, the reason for why we're here? And Paul writes, for to me to live is Christ. For to me to live is Christ. Christ, Paul says, is my reward, both in this world and in the world to come. He is my gain. He is my everything. Why were you made? Well, the shorter catechism question one tells us to glorify God and enjoy him forever. It's an excellent answer, isn't it? We've been made to glorify God and enjoy him forever. The purpose for your existence is Christ. The purpose why you're here this morning in the service of worship is Christ. The purpose of why every moment that you've lived in this world is Christ. To glorify him. To make much of him. To exalt him. And to enjoy him. We must not forget these things. The chairs that you're sitting on here this morning. What is their end? What is their purpose? Well, it's to be sat on, isn't it? And if you couldn't sit on a chair, what would you do with a chair? You'd probably throw it out. It's no more use. It'd be very, very sad if you couldn't sit on a chair that was made to be sat on. Would you keep it? No, you would not. It's without purpose. But what about us? What about you? What is your purpose? Are we living? Are you living? According to the purpose to which God has made you. Made in the image of Almighty God. You see, we don't live for ourselves. To live for ourselves is the most miserable thing because we're not doing what we've been made to do or to be. Are we fighting? Are you fighting against the reason God made you? And we've been made in God's image, so it's been made, we've been made to serve him. We've been made to love him. We've been made to exalt him and magnify him in all the world. And that is not just here in a Sabbath morning or Sabbath evening. 
It's every single thing we do, whatsoever we eat or whatsoever we drink, that all will be done to the glory of God. Everything, even the most menial, most mundane, most boring of tasks, to all be done to the glory of God, because that's our purpose. To live is Christ. This is why we're here. He is our, our supreme reward, yes, in heaven, but also here. Here, he is our great reward. For without Christ, life and death are without purpose. You, and you see it, don't you? You see it around you. People who do not see their purpose for being here, their, their lives are purposeless, miserable. They act like they're just here merely to exist. We turn briefly to Isaiah chapter 60 and verse 21. Isaiah chapter 60. And verse number 21. Thy people also shall be righteous. They shall inherit the land forever. The branch of my planting. The work of of my hands that I may be glorified that I may be glorified and also Paul's letter to the Corinthians 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 20 for you're bought with a price that is us all here therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit which are God's See, to live for ourselves, the world is telling you, if you live for yourself, you're going to be happy. If you think you're great and all these things that the, the world tells us, it's not. It's the fight against the purpose why you've been made. Your chief end. And to fight against that, people don't understand why they're in the world. They're living for themselves. They're doing all the things that they want to do. They're following all their loss. And yet at the end of it, they are miserable. Because you've been made to glorify God. That's your purpose. That's your reason for existing. And a purposeless life is miserable. It is like a tree without root and fruit. Thrown into the fire. Matthew 7 and verse 19. Matthew chapter 7 and verse number 19. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and is cut down and cast into the fire. And here we have a picture about a tree that does not produce fruit. A tree that does not do and follow according to its purpose. A tree is there to produce fruit, isn't it? And once it does not do that, it is hewn down. And thrown into the fire. But what if you're saved? If you're trusted in Jesus Christ. You've seen the beauty of holiness. You've seen the horrendousness of sin as well. And, and you wish to flee from that. And you trust in Jesus Christ for your eternal destiny. You've seen that you deserve eternal death. You've turned away from the wrath that which causes the wrath of God, and you look to Christ alone. Well, friends, to you, your purpose is this. For to me, to live is Christ. And Paul really emphasizes the me part. Me, to live is Christ. He is your purpose. Somebody may ask you that you don't do something as a Christian. They know that you're acting different. You're not joining in with the rebellious living of the world. And they'll ask you, well, why are you doing this? For to me to live is Christ. I serve my maker and my master. This is why I've been made. This is why I'm here. This is the only reason we're here. And if we fight against that, friends... 
The more we fight against that, the more misery we'll find in this world because Christ himself is the great reward. And it's something I think that we miss so many times. We're not just trusting in Jesus Christ. Yes, we wish to get to heaven. Of course we do. But he is our great reward here. And even far more so in the world to come because we get more of him. And he is wonderful and he is lovely. Our second point, number two now, our enemy. Our enemy, we're going to look at death there. So our end and then our enemy, number two. Verse 21 says this, For to me to live is Christ but to, and to die is gain. And to die is gain. This may seem strange. Is death all of a sudden a good thing? Do we gain something at death? Well, death remains an enemy. Death remains an enemy. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 26. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse number 26. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. And that follows on from the previous verse, verse number 25. For he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. The Lord Jesus Christ, his kingdom advances. He puts his enemies under his feet. And at the end of time, when the new heavens and the new earth come in, the last enemy, that is death, will be destroyed. But death remains an enemy, doesn't it? And we will face, we will all face that enemy one day. It is an enemy that stalks us all, a constant reminder all around us that an atom will die. It preys like an animal of prey. Which is why it is still painful when a loved one die, dies. Even you know that loved one has belief in Jesus Christ and we rejoice in one way we do not sorrow as those without hope. And we rejoice that they're in heaven but we still miss them. Lazarus had died and Jesus wept knowing full well he would raise him from the dead. So death is still an enemy. Death is still painful. Death is something that takes away our loved ones. And it is painful. And they get and in the midst of life, pain, suffering, we see the limitations that we have. We see that we fall short. We see we are but of the dust of the earth. And that we cannot avoid the fact that we are creatures. We are creatures. We are finite creatures and we're to serve the infinite and all-powerful God in Romans 5 and verse 12 it says this Romans 5 and verse number 12 wherefore as by one man that is Adam sin entered into the world and death by sin and so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned See, we can so easily think that because we see so much death, that death is normal and natural and just another path of life. And you've heard us, these philosophies, it's not a big deal. Death is an enemy. Death remains an enemy. Death remains sorrowful and sad and difficult. And it, it came in by sin. The consequences of sin is death. That is... The penalty that Jesus paid, he died. The just for the unjust. So we will, But we will all face a kind of death one day. We will all die one day, yes. But we do not face a certain type of death as believers in Jesus Christ. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you trust him and him alone, no matter whether you're young or old, rich or poor, you will not face eternal, everlasting death. You will not face 
because of Jesus Christ, that eternal torment that awaits all sinners that will face the wrath of Almighty God. That is another type of death. An eternal one. And friends, you've been delivered from that. You and I, in and through Jesus Christ, because of the blood of the Lamb, because of His death, His victory over this enemy, we will not face that torment of hell. And we cannot even, really can we, contemplate what the Lord suffered in our place. The just for the unjust. And this is all because Jesus, Jesus defeated death for to, and to die is gain. This, why is die gain here? Why can Paul say, and to die is gain? Because Jesus has had victory over that death, over that enemy. So we no longer have reason to fear death. As we should. A person who's not a believer in Jesus Christ wisely should fear death. They live in a world that declares the glory of God. You especially see it around these parts. The glorious mountains and the beauty. The heavens declare the glory of God. The creation showeth forth his handiwork. It, it reminds them that the goodness and the power and the glory of God. And yes, the unbeliever should fear death. Absolutely. But should you? Should a believer in Jesus Christ fear death? Should you fear your final moments? We do at times, don't we? We do fear all sorts of things that we should not. But if we think about what we have in Jesus Christ, to die in Christ is gain. It's to our benefit. So in a large part, we should, and Paul even struggles with this. You can see it in verse 21. For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and be to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. He's, well, I can think of reasons to go to be with the Lord, but it's far better that I am here with you. But Paul wants to be with the Lord. And I'm sure the more you suffer in this world as a believer, the more we long for heaven, isn't it true? When we suffer, when we have aches and pains and we we're in and out of the hospital or things like this go on in our lives, we long for the peace and the bliss and the rest of a place where there is no death, of a world to come where where that enemy is vanquished. That enemy has been defeated in Jesus Christ at the cross. Why should we not fear death? Can death separate you from the love of Christ? Not at all. As Paul writes to the Romans in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 and verse 37. Romans chapter 8 and verse number 37 down to 39. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. And why does Paul write these things under the inspiration of the Spirit of God? Because so often we will fear that these things do separate us from the love of God. Paul, writing to Romans, said, I am persuaded neither death. Death will not separate you from the love of God. And where will we go? Well, that brings us on to our third point. A third point, our engagement. So we've dealt with our end, our enemy. Now number three, our engagement. When you take out your diary, you write in a date. 
you write in an appointment or an engagement, something that you, you believe that will happen. And as Christians, we say, Lord willing, because we know that it is not in our hands. The Lord is in control of all the things of life. We don't know if, we'll, if it will really happen. Even when we read out the intimations, we know that it is subject to the will of the Lord. Something might happen to prevent it. You may be driving to church. You may have a flat tire and you can't get there in time. But you have a certain and sure appointment, an engagement before the throne room of God. Everyone will stand before God one day. Everyone will stand before him. And that day is only God knows. None of us know our final moments. None of us know when that time will come. None of us know when we will breathe our last breath. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. That death, that engagement, that future appointment in time, God knows. And it's a fixed point in time. The Lord has decreed whatsoever cometh the pass. It is sure, it is certain. He knows it. Well, we've been surrounded by death, but also we know it from the word of the living God. And there's two possibilities, friends. When we stand before God at that final moment, will we stand clothed in the righteousness of Christ, in his royal robes, or will we stand naked with our own attempts to cover up our own shame? If you look back to Adam and Eve, what did they do? They sewed fig leaves together. They had their own attempts to cover up their shame, and it fell short. It was up to God to clothe them. The first animal sacrifice in Genesis chapter 3. God must clothe us. God must wash us because our greatest deeds, the most, the nicest thing we have ever done, the most noble intent that we've ever had has always been tarnished by sin. Do you know that, friends? We sin. We are sinners. Isaiah 64 verse 6 tells us this, that our greatest deeds... <clears throat> Our greatest righteousnesses are but filthy rags. And when we try to clean ourselves up with our own efforts, without the blood of Christ, without the righteousness of Christ to clothe you, that we become like our first parents when they first heard the voice of God, hiding, seeking to clothe ourselves with our own efforts. And what we must all realize, even after we come to Christ, we have to learn this lesson often time and time again. Your attempts, your efforts will never be, can never be enough. Even if there was some way that you could live a sinless from this point forward, your efforts are not enough. Now, we still do sin. We will not reach that point that we do not sin until we leave this world. That's another reason why to die is gain. We enter into a state where we won't even want to sin. Isn't that wonderful? The coming is a point in time we will not even want to sin in heaven. It says in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse number 27 and verse number 28. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. This is sure and certain. So Christ, verse 28, was once offered to bear the sins of many. And unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. Friends, is he born your sin? 
Has he taken away that penalty? Has he defeated death on your behalf? No longer are you to look for your own efforts as you come before the throne of God. We are to come with his work, his finished work in Jesus Christ and in him alone. And do you see your sin? See, many people in the world don't see their sin at all. They wish to run away from even hearing the word of God. They mock at it. They ridicule it. And they think that they can come before the throne room of God because they don't think they're that bad a person. They make less and they make light of the holiness of God. God is separate and set apart from his creation, but he's also separate and set apart from sin. He is pure, holy, undefiled, radiant. And his radiance he will not change for anyone or anything. Without these clothes of Christ, what will the final day, what will that final day be? Loss. If you stand in your own efforts... You will lose in that day. See, Paul could say this, for to me is to live as Christ and to die as gain because he'd been clothed in the righteousness of Christ, because he had no confidence in his flesh. That's why he could say such a thing. And it is only in that context that he could say such a thing. I wonder, friends, have you ever... Late in the evening, you hear a knock at the door. You're not quite ready for visitors. Maybe you're not dressed for to answering the door. But if you're ready for the visitor, you're dressed for the occasion. Friends, are you, are you dressed for the occasion of standing before God? And the greater the king the greater the radiance, the greater the awe and admiration you have for this king, the better the clothing you wish to clothe yourself with. And there's nothing better to clothe yourself with than the righteousness of Christ. Are you ready? None of us know when this appointment will come. No one, none of us know when this engagement will come. But we must be ready and we must be watching at all times. For his return. And how do we watch? By faith and by faith alone. Matthew chapter 25 and verse 13. Matthew 25 and verse number 13. Says this. Watch therefore for ye know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. But notice how he says watch and verse number 20, chapter 24 of Matthew, chapter 24 of Matthew, verses 42 down to 44 of Matthew 24. Watch therefore for ye know not what hour your, your Lord doth come, but know this, that if the good man of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore, be also ready, for in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. And the difference is here, those of us by faith who are looking unto the return of Jesus Christ, who are anticipating and looking forward to that, they will be watching, they will be looking, you will be looking. But then the wicked, what will they do? Oh, the Lord delayeth his return. He's not coming. And you, you just do whatever you like. These appointments and engagements are in God's hands. Death is certain, but life eternal awaits the believer. This brings us to our final point, our fourth point, our, enge our enjoyment. Our enjoyment. 
So we've looked at our end, that's our purpose, that's to glorify God. Our enemy, that is death. Our engagement, that is our final, this final event when we stand before God. Number four, our enjoyment. As Paul says, for me, for me, to live is Christ and to die is what? Game. To leave this world, to have our soul separated from our body. Our soul goes to heaven. Our body returns to the earth, returns to the dust. Our body goes to the grave. And your soul then, at that moment, immediately, instantaneously, at the point of death, goes into the enjoyment and the blessings of heaven and the Lord. We gain more of the enjoyments, not apart from Christ, but because of Christ. See, really this verse is saying, in life and in death, my great gain, my reward, my everything is Jesus Christ. Christ is not just some, uh, you know, kind of some part at the end of the page, just a little afterthought in life. He is everything in life, and he is everything in the world to come. He is life itself. And we gain for all the enjoyments we may have in this world, and there are things to enjoy in this world, they do not come close to the enjoyments that await us in heaven. And we experience, don't we, a little of the enjoyments of heaven in this world. Taste and see that the Lord is good, who trusts in him, is blessed. But far more to come. There's gain. There's more and that is to look forward to for all that have faith in Jesus Christ. Is Christ yours by faith? See, he's not just, well, yes, I think I'll get to heaven because of this. Is he to live? Is it Christ for you here and now? You see, I ask this, do you love hearing the sound of the shepherd's voice? Because if you do not enjoy or even have the taste of the enjoyment of heaven here, why would you even wish to go to heaven? Everybody, no one wants to go to face the wrath of hell when, people, when, you, when it's described to people. But if you describe to somebody in the street, what will you be doing in heaven for all eternity? Oh, we'll be worshiping the Lamb. We'll be glorifying His name. That will sound positively boring. To the person who is unregenerate. But if you've been born again. If you love Jesus Christ. You know. The inexhaustible greatness. And wonder. You're going to be still in awe. With the purest enjoyment of him forever. The things of this world. We could have our favorite food. Three meals a day seven days a week, and we get very tired of it very quickly, wouldn't we? But we will never tire of the Lord because he is infinitely good, infinitely wise. How long does it take for you to study about infinity? And what does infinity mean? Well, the opposite. Finite means there's a beginning and an end. Here there's no beginning and there is no end. How long before you tire of studying of him and his greatness and being in awe of him? It's not possible, is it? If you love him, eternity in one sense is not enough to study and be in awe of his greatness. It is wonderful delight, dear friends. The joy of heaven beholding the glory of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 9 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse number 9. But as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. And there's almost a sense in which the divine writers, they struggle for the words. 
of the greatness and the beauty because it's going to be so far better than anything in this world. The eye hath not seen, nor the ear heard, neither have it entered into the heart of men the things which God hath prepared for them that love him and how much we don't deserve it. Have you ever marveled at it? What we will be given in Jesus Christ. What we will have, not just for 10 years, not for 10,000 years, not for 10 million years, but forever. And we're sinners. Lawbreakers. Even when we have been regenerated and born again, we still sin. And he's given us this. He's prepared for us a home. He's given us a place of eternal bliss and eternal enjoyment. And if we look across the scriptures, we'll see what is heaven. The place where God dwells. His blessings dwell. And we will enjoy him. We will, we will, enjoy, we will glorify him and enjoy him here in this world. But enjoy him far more in the world to come. I think we can forget that, can't we, sometimes, about enjoying God. Have you ever read about God and his attributes and who he is and his power and his glory and his goodness and his majesty and just smile as you look at the page and you think about him? He's not just a concept, friends. He's not just a means to avoid hell. He is the supreme reward. He is who we will glorify and magnify and exalt in eternity. He is the one in whom we will find supreme satisfaction. He, was, he is the one we will never tire from looking at, gazing upon. Have you ever seen something beautiful? It catches your eye. You're, I, I've driven past some places in Scotland and I've made the comment to my wife, it's dangerous for me driving around here because I actually get distracted while driving. It is so beautiful. But if you see it every day, you probably don't even notice it. It won't be like that with God. God is supremely beautiful and glorious. We will never get tired of gazing upon him and looking upon him and seeing his radiance and majesty. As beautiful as the things are in this world, the enjoyment of the things in the world to come are far greater. And a satisfaction we can scarcely imagine. Augustine says this, Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find, until they rest in thee. Why? It's why we were made. And it brings us to why we find supreme satisfaction in God because we've been made in the image of God and we've only been made to find pure and everlasting enjoyment from him. Not from the things of the world. Not from the, the things that one day that are in our hands will fall through our fingers. We can't bring them into the world to come. But we will say goodbye to many things in this world. But we will gain far more in the world to come. This brings us to our conclusion. If you read through Philippians, you'll see it as an epistle of joy. Which may also seem strange because Paul is going through much suffering. He, he rejoices at the Philippian church. He rejoices. He's so thankful for them. But he's not sure how much longer he has in this world. And afflictions and suffering and trials have a way of focusing our minds, taking our eyes off what is not nearly as important and placing our eyes on something far more important. Paul's focus is upon Christ. Paul's focus upon his gain in the world to come. Our reason for being here, friends, Christ. And in our final moments, when they come, remind yourself of these things. For to live, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is is gain. You will stand before God, but you have every reason to come to the throne boldly if you have Christ. This is my beloved Son, 
in whom I am well pleased. Will he cast out any of you if you come in the name of Christ? Will he reject any who have trusted in Jesus Christ? Not at all. Not at all. But if you come naked in your own works, trusting in your own righteousness, that day will be lost. That day will not be gained. We are to live for him, to him, and to him be all the glory, both now and forevermore. Amen. Let us come before the Lord in prayer. <clears throat> Father in heaven, we are so thankful for thy provision. We are so thankful for Christ. Make We ask this reality which Paul has shared to us by inspiration of the Spirit of God. May we evermore see that to live is Christ, but to die is gain. May we not fear death. May we long to be absent from the body, but to be present with the Lord. May we see what great enjoyment that our great reward, both in this world and the world to come, is thy Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is wonderful, who is altogether lovely. May we exalt him both in this world and in the world to come. May we be satisfied both in this world and in the world to come in thy Son. We ask, Lord God, that thou wouldst remove our restlessness. May we find satisfaction in Jesus. May we find refreshment this Sabbath day. Pardon our many sins. May thy face shine upon us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let us turn in our psalters to Psalm 118. Psalm 118, verses 15 to 23. Psalm 118, verses 15 to 23. In dwellings of the righteous is heard the melody of joy and health. The Lord's right hand doth ever valiantly. The right hand of the mighty Lord exalted is on high. The right hand of the mighty Lord doth ever valiantly and that is the wonderful thing of joy and health the lord's right hand and i said we've never experienced any of us perfect health and we will have that with the lord both in heaven and also in the new heavens and the new earth whether it be the redemption of the body verses 15 down to verse number 23 let us sing god's praise <clears throat> In dwellings of the Oh, uh-huh. 
Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Amen. Amen.